Smarties, today Steph and I are excited to welcome back Dr. Ellen Bratton for Dr. Bratton Month. Today she talks to us about how time perception impacts learners. She talks about how this is an incredibly important part of understanding processing speed and ADHD. She gives us some tips and helpful hints to help respond to time perception issues. She even discusses meta-time blindness, and we all have a conversation about overscheduling and why it's important to keep track of time sometimes and why it's important to let time go at other times. If you are loving these Dr. Bratton episodes, we would be honored if you would support us and the work that we're doing here at Learn Smarter Podcast by supporting us through our Patreon account. For $5 a month, you get extended conversations and extra content, including everything that we've released in the past. It supports the work that we are doing here on the podcast. To support us, head to www.patreon.com slash learnsmarterpodcast. Now, without further ado, let's dig into Dr. Bratton. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 153 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. Today, we have Ellen Bratton back. Yay. Hi, Ellen. Hi there. It's great to be here again. We're so happy to have you here. We're so excited to have you back. We've been talking about it for a while. We are so fascinated by the work that you do and the audience that you speak to. So if you haven't listened to Ellen's previous episode, we're going to link it in the show notes. But in the event that they haven't heard of you, I don't know who that would be, but why don't you go ahead and share who you are and what you do and who you do it for? So I am a psychologist who specializes in pediatric neuropsychology. So basically, that's just a fancy way of saying I test kids for learning and emotional and attentional issues. And I have a clinic at Massachusetts General Hospital called the Learning and Emotional Assessment Program. And I've also written a few books for parents or educators and professionals as well. But my most recent book is called Bright Kids Who Can't Keep Up, which describes my interest in kids who have trouble keeping up. And who have trouble sort of just not with the understanding of the world, but understanding it in quick time frames. So it's more about the how quickly somebody can do something and not about really what they are capable of doing, but more about the time. And I got interested in this because I saw a lot of kids struggling with this in the world that we live in now. And I remember talking about in our previous episode together that it's not necessarily that processing speeds have sort of slowed down over decades. It's that the world has gotten so much faster and processing speeds haven't adjusted to how quick the world actually is, right? That's exactly right. So I think that 40 years ago, kids who had relatively slow processing speeds, so a lot of the kids I'm talking about are not kids at the first percentile. They're kids who might be at the 15th percentile in processing, or maybe even the 30th, but their other cognitive skills are high. That would have been just one of those kids who just like, you know, they're kind of dreamy. They sort of take a little bit longer to get stuff done, but it's fine because the world sort of was percolating at about the same time. And kids spend a lot of time just spinning their wheels, 
walking outside in the woods, playing games with their neighbors. So that idea of being sort of relatively slow compared to other aspects of yourself or even the general population didn't really matter because you didn't need those really quick skills to get along in the world. Now those skills are really important. And so kids who might have been just fine 40 years ago are just not fine anymore. And I hear that from parents all the time where they'll say, he's just like me, but I was okay. Well, you know, you didn't have Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and blah, 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 all at you at the same time, as well as a curriculum that's a lot more advanced than it was. It's so true on so many levels. And we're recording this during the pandemic too. And so you take Zoom and not getting feedback in person and things like that. In real time. Yeah, it ends up being harder in general too. And so we know that a lot of kids have done really well with the online version of school these days, but there's a lot of kids also really struggling. And we've heard time and time again about how parents are seeing things that they never saw before or that the teacher didn't quite explain or they didn't understand what the teacher was saying or they just didn't have words for it. And now they're sort of sitting there saying, yeah, I see it. Yeah, this is something. Especially if there's a biological link between parent and child. When kids are adopted or fostered and there's different things manifesting and going on and maybe there's not like an egoism about it because you didn't create that person necessarily. But I think when there is that biological link between parent and child and they see the similarities and the parent goes, well, I compensated. I get it. But like they quote unquote should be able to, because I did, I think it's so important to point out. Yes, but they're competing with so much more than you were ever competing with. And you're absolutely correct that the curriculum is much more demanding. What's being asked of them is so much more significant than what was being asked of you. Yeah. And sometimes I do find parents use that as a defense mechanism too, that it's so painful, not just in processing speed, but dyslexia or math disability and anything is that you remember your own struggles. You'd rather just sort of say, he'll be fine rather than really kind of delve into the emotional aspects of, you know what? It was really hard for me. It's a lot easier to say I got through it than to say this was really hard for me and it might be hard for my child. And so that's one way parents kind of cope. I mean, this stuff is tough. So, you know, the other thing too, along with what you were saying that we forget about is that being a C student was fine. Like when I was a kid, it was fine to be a C student. You're just a C student. And right. that's how, I mean, people even just say, oh, he's a C student, but he's great on the basketball court or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It wasn't even a derogatory thing. It was just, it's hard to even imagine anyone saying that today. C is not acceptable. C is average, right? Yeah. C is like an F. Yeah. A C is like an F today. Yes. And a B is a C. Mm-hmm. A B sometimes is a cause to call and get a full neuropsych or call an ed therapist. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, he's getting a B in honors chemistry or AP chemistry. I'm like, okay. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> and, but it's, you know, and has he had any troubles before this? No, is one of those things where it's just what our standards are. And I'm not faulting a parent for that. It's just, it's a, it's a cultural sort of thing right now. It really is. And it's not great for kids or parents for that matter. For sure. And I think some of the things that have to do with processing speed and some of your work on how processing speed 
affects so many things in our lives. And it's not just school, but it's like getting out the door and understanding what directions you give your kids and all of that is really important to note that there's so many demands going on in and out of the classroom. And when we had a discussion with you about what you could come back on and talk about, one of the things that you said was time perception. We love this topic. I mean, this is like gold right here. Can you tell our audience what you mean by time perception? Yeah. So time perception is your perception of how much time has gone by and whether or not it's accurate. So this has been around psychology for a long time. And one of the ways that they looked at it was to explore people's perceptions of time when they were, for instance, prisoners of war, when they were Mm. in a cell and they had no perception of day or night, which is just a horrible thing to think about. But people became interested in that. Like, how did you perceive time without recognition of time going past? And they've done experiments on this, that some of us just have different perceptions. So many of us can say, yeah, that was about 10 minutes that just went by, you know, whatever. I was on the treadmill for 20 minutes. I can get off now without looking at the watch. Well, that was in sort of the clinical part of psychology that didn't really have to do with actual diagnoses. But more recently, people have been interested in ADHD and time perception. And some recent studies have shown that people with ADHD have trouble with time perception. That's why when they say, I can get done with it, there's no problem. It's not just that they aren't well organized or they didn't have the right kind of calendar, but they actually don't perceive 30 minutes the way a non-time perceptive person would perceive 30 minutes. So it was an eye-opener for me because for years I've been recommending that kids with ADHD need to do better at keeping calendar and getting organized and organizing their time. But if you can't perceive time, how can you organize it? It's like being colorblind and asking to put together a wardrobe that all matches without having some kind of color-coded something. So it's become a really important marker, actually, of ADHD. And when we think about remediations, we really kind of have to think about, does a child have the perception of time? And well, but we haven't done any studies yet on how this relates exactly to processing speed. We do know that about a large percentage of kids with ADHD have processing speed issues, about 40%. And so we're talking about a large group of kids. If we're talking about processing speed issues, we are probably just by virtue of the fact that a lot of them have ADHD, talking about kids with time perception issues. My instinct, though, is that kids with processing speed difficulties might have that to the max, because I hear about this all the time. They'll say, I will totally get this done. And, and what takes a you know typical learner 30 minutes to get done, they'll say they can get it done in 15. And it actually is going to take them 50 It's not that they're even overly optimistic. It's that they really don't know. In some cases, it's called time blindness, being just like time's just going past and you're just blind to what's happening and how fast it's going. Well, we can see how this would create a lot of issues in the family home. Oh, yes. If you have a learner or a child who is operating in this way. So I guess my question, we're big advocates of, knowing what you have to do and having that calendar sort of put together. And what Steph and I will do with students who we know don't have an accurate barometer 
for time passing Mm -hmm. is we'll have them predict and then we'll have them quantify what was reality versus prediction. And then they can literally see, okay, I'm massively underestimating here and sort of start to learn a little bit. But what else would you suggest? (laughs) That's a great suggestion because they've got to be made aware of it. And this doesn't mean just throw out the calendars because they don't understand the difference, but how five minutes feels to 30. Right. Doing that at the same time is important. I also think using an analog clock is really important. Yes. You know, we were talking before about how things that we do change. Well, we haven't been using analog clocks as much either. And so analog clocks are nice because you see tick, 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 how much time you see, you see it change visually. So you've got that visual recognition of how much time is passing And so that helps to connect it. I also recommend just timing a lot of stuff. Many of us have recommended doing things like time your homework to see how long it takes you, but even timing things that aren't quite so aversive, like how long did it take us to get to school today? There was no traffic. It took 20 minutes or, you know, yesterday there was a lot of traffic. It took 28 minutes. What did that feel like? That sort of thing. You know, how long does it take you to brush your teeth? Just infusing that time issue as much as possible. And even at a a really young age, if you're a parent listening and you're wondering, you know, I don't know if my first grader has issues with this, definitely start to do some of that. Put the timer on your phone just for fun and just say, you know, let's see how long that is. And, And like you said, predict and then see actually what the prediction was. I would also say too that a lot of the kids I work with with processing speed and ADHD, they don't even know the months of the year, sometimes not even the days of the week. And I mean, smart kids, like this is not something that's related to intellect. I've been with kids who are in tough high school classes that can't tell you exactly if, does July come before March? I've got to think about this. And I think part of this are the things that aren't taught in school. Some of that rote learning that we used to have in school did serve a purpose. And these are the sorts of sort of memorizing or sitting at calendar time and going over the months of the year together as a group actually did sort of serve a purpose. So medic time as well as small time too. Interesting. I know that I never know the number for the months in the summer. Oh, really? I count it out always. Why? Because like July, when was I writing July Oh, as a number? Because you're a student, so I learned January's one, because you're constantly writing the date down, but in the summer, you're not. Even to this day, I'm like counting on my fingers. I'm a summer baby, so I just knew. There you go. So that's interesting. Two things were coming up. One is I remember in first grade, we had to do like a holiday sing-along thing. One of them was about singing the months of the year, and it made me think of that all of a sudden. That that was something, I don't even think I really understood what it was, but we had to memorize it for the song. Yeah. And the other thing that came up when you were talking, Ellen, was I was thinking about, I've never really thought about the severity or the spectrum of time blindness or time perception in a way that's like, either you have it or you don't. I know that I've worked with kids where we figured out they need to double their time. Right. Like we've guessed and checked enough to say that I'll sit there and say, how long do you think it's going to take? And they'll say 30 minutes and we'll say, okay, you think 30 minutes. So let's actually count on 60. 
and always having that sort of formula, Mm -hmm. thinking about it over a spectrum of what it can look like and for certain different things and certain times of day probably and what it is they're doing. You know, one of the things that I do really often with kids, and I know Rachel does this too, is when we have them guess how long a minute is, and this is something that we learned from some other people, but I added having them look at social media and guess how long a minute is. And I've been sitting there for five plus minutes while they thought it was a minute and they sat down. I'm really glad you haven't done that with me. (laughs) Yikes. That's yeah. And you know, that's interesting because in a way that gives us a good example of how we're all sort of time blind and emotionally too, because I think I thought about that because we're sort of emotionally invested when we're looking at Instagram or whatever it is. So sort of apt to have time blindness at times when we are kind of at peak emotions, even if we're pretty good at that. But judging how long we've spent on social media is a very good thing. Maybe we all would benefit from that a little bit. Sat there for, I think it was five minutes and 43 seconds or something. And I was sitting there going, wow, this is a long time. Because I'm just staring at my phone pretending to like not do anything while she was standing there. And when she sat down, she literally looked at me like, yeah, I did a great job. And I, when I turned my phone around, she was like, oh my gosh. It was like that realization of, wow. The whole reason this came up is she and her mom were fighting about how long she was spending on social. And her mom said, you're spending an hour. And she says, no, I'm not. I'm spending 15 minutes or whatever it was. And then when I showed her, it was this epiphany of, oh, wait, I think I'm doing this. But actually, that's not probably what's going on. The whole thing is very fascinating to me. And diagnosis of ADHD or not, we expect time accuracy. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of every remediation thing that we do is we just assume that that's a given and then we're going to teach you how to organize that or how to better use it. But we don't always have a good idea whether or not they've mastered that concept. And in every scenario, mm-hmm. it's not just yes or no. They often say well, like when you're training dogs or you're training horses, whatever you do to one side, you have to do to the other because yeah. the scenario changes enough that they've forgotten or like where they are or whatever it is. It's the same thing if you think about it. I've had conversations with people who have friends who have ADHD and struggle with time perception and they're always late and they think that they're doing it on purpose and then it's ruining and putting a strain on their relationship and they're not doing it on purpose. Like if you shift your expectations – Yeah. It can make all the difference. And so getting back to learning and shifting expectations with parents, with teachers, with even us as learning specialists and educational therapists of what we expect and what we need the kids to be able to do, because so much of grading is based on can you produce what we want, when we want it, how we want it, where we want it. And now. Yeah, exactly. During this last year, we've all sort of lost track of time. And it's been really hard for us. Like, we don't have those markers that we typically do. Fall football games, the winter hockey events, the or whatever it is. It's the longest March that ever was. Yeah, it's like nobody prepared me for March. And we're almost halfway through. Yes. 
And so it kind of does show you, though, too, because this has been a collective process, but when people are going through tough times as well, we should be aware that that's a time when you can kind of lose sense of time. And, you know, we need to be aware of those kids who have had traumatic experiences or difficulties, something, a big loss happens in a family, you kind of lose track of what's happening because you lose that steadiness. And we've all had a taste of this this year. And it really doesn't feel very good, actually, to not know what day it is or where we're supposed to be. It's not a good feeling. It's not. This is one of those teachable moments for parents to as much as you can and as much as you can put aside any shame or any feelings that you're having to let whoever's working with your child, teachers, specialists of whatever type in on what's going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because the more information, as Oprah says, when you know better, you do better. So setting expectations that are unreasonable is going to affect everything and maybe make that time perception worse, maybe make that processing speed go slower because there's too much going on. And so I'm grateful for you to bring this up because I think that this is not something that is... Even in the ed therapy community or even in the community of people who support learners who operate differently, it's not something we're having a conversation about as a field, this specific issue. And it impacts everything. It does, but it's totally okay because seriously, I didn't know about it myself until about four years ago when I was working with a couple of colleagues and we published a paper about it. I mean, this is new. And when I say I didn't know about it until four years ago, like just barely, and then we started studying it and it's been out there, but it takes a little while for one or two studies to trickle down to practice because, you know, you want to get more than just one or two studies about it. And so I think this is just this is exactly the right time for us to be talking about it because we've got enough data that says this is real and now what do we do about it? And I also think we have to think about the fact that we don't want to become like kids are in the army and they're always keeping track of time. What we need to help them learn is what does time feel like and when is it important to keep track of time? When is it good to let it go? Like It's also wonderful to like, I totally lost track of time. There are times for that too. And It's so true. Be aware of what time it is now and how much time is passing and like, let it go. And we sort of have an overlap with all of that in our our society now. Yeah. I was just thinking about the kids that lose track of time when they're engrossed in a book. Yeah. And how can you really fault that? Right. Right. That's something that's amazing to lose track of time rather than social media. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's something. And you're absolutely right. There needs to be time where we can lose track of time Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Yeah. And not on social media. When you just said that, I was thinking like we all lose track of time on social media. Absolutely. Yes. There's no question. It's so compelling and it's the perfect mix of boring and exciting. And feedback, needing feedback. I mean, there's times where I have resisted picking up my phone and I hate to admit this and I won't do it if I can help it, but I'll be sitting at like a red light for a really long time and I'll go, oh yeah, peek over at my phone. Nope. Don't pick it up. Don't, you don't need to look at that right now. But like, that is just even a moment where I'm like looking for some sort of feedback because I'm sitting there and... I don't have ADHD. It's interesting to watch my friends parent now. I have to be very mindful of not giving a ton of input when I'm not being asked. 
like I'm your friend. I'm not your kids at therapist kind of thing. But one of my friends was talking about how much her kid was doing in a week under the age of five. And I said, unstructured free time and kids being bored is really important for them to learn how to like manage that. So they're not always seeking input and not always coming and saying, what are we doing now? Free time matters. It's okay. We should have kids be bored sometimes. Yeah. I told you before we started recording that I was writing an, a new book, which is way behind schedule. Uh, speaking of time, and <laughs> one of the things I was writing just yesterday was my time as a middle-aged 12-year-old, but maybe I could say five-year-old for that matter, because during COVID, I decided to do all the things that I wanted to do. So I took Spanish lessons, I picked up needlepoint, I joined a bunch of book clubs, I took some writing classes, I took a class in screenwriting of all things, and I found out what it felt like to be an overscheduled kid. And partly is because I could do that because my kids are grown. So it's like COVID. What am I going to do? I live alone. Why don't I just do all this stuff? Uh And I hated it. Like all the things I thought would be fun word because it's like I was going, I need to do my homework for my Spanish class. And then I need to, to I've got to write a screenplay. (laughs) And it's like, I had no, I can't believe we do this to our kids. I just can't believe it. And it just gave me a glimpse into the fact that even when you want to, like, even when kids say, no, mom, I want to do soccer and ice hockey and figure skating and like take sort of the fun out of everything. You just feel like you're always behind, not to mention the amount of set shifting that it requires. And I was thinking about that when you were saying about your book and having to shift to go you know, into writing mode versus when you're doing things that have become more automatic for you. And especially for someone who struggles with cognitive or slow processing, that's even harder and takes even more gas. No wonder, you know, I wouldn't want to do it. Well, I'm glad you shared that um, because as you were saying all the things that you're like, I'm going to go do this and this and this in my head, the first thing I thought is like, I want to be like her when I grow up (laughs) because I've always wanted to do a little bit of this and wanted to do a little bit of that. And I kind of went the opposite with COVID. I was just like, I'm going to do my number one hobby, which is just watching TV, but it's good to reinforce that I don't have to do all the things. I mean, this is what the podcast was born out of Mm -hmm. stuff was like, What's the next thing? Mm-hmm. What's the next thing? And so if it makes you feel any better, I haven't finished the needlepoint project. <laughs> Hollywood is not calling me for my screenplay. And <laughs> I dropped out of Spanish, even though I'm going to start it up again. You know, Stephanie, I think you mentioned Oprah before, or maybe Rachel. Yeah, we always do. We love Oprah. She sort of says, you can have it all. You just can't have it all at once. And I think that's a perfect example. It's not actually even fun to do. It's just not fun. And remembering that when we're having compassion for the learners in our life, remembering this lesson. Also giving some understanding and forgiveness for those of us who have some time perception struggles or are time blind and really shifting our expectations of what we need to do and what we need to expect and what it looks like is going to be, I think, a game changer, if you can, for a lot of kids and a lot of people. 
Well, Ellen, thank you so much for joining us and continuing to join us. We are excited to welcome you back for next week's episode to talk a little bit more about social skills and processing speed and how one impacts the other. But we can't thank you enough for all the time you've already given us. And I still want to be like you when I grow up. So that's still there. <laughs> I think you could find better inspirations, but I, but I appreciate the compliment and I was really happy to be here. Thank you. Say, have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week, Smarties. Yay.